Should you think about your music career as your business? The answer may surprise you. Just kidding. But we are going to ponder that and more as we talk with Chicago artist Jocelyn Dell on today's episode of Music Therapy. Welcome to Music Therapy, you guys. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Shelby, who just moved to Washington State because I miss him already. He's a great music friend. Shelby, we are thinking about you and we miss you. Okay. If you're a musician who has ever looked at the fractions of a cent that Spotify pays you, and wonder how in the world you could ever make a music career work, this podcast is for you. Don't face the music alone. We are here to guide you through all the emotional and creative ups and downs of being a musician. Visit musictherapypodcast.com for previous episodes and upcoming events. And leave us a goddamn review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so today I'm talking with Jocelyn Dell. He is a Chicago musician influenced by R&B, jazz, funk, rock, and the blues, and he is also a professional accountant. So we get into music and business and a lot more, and and we also hear a couple of tracks from Jocelyn as well. Uh, I'm going to share the conversation in a second, but before I get to that, I want to share that our very next group session is Wednesday, August 9th, live at Cafe Mustache. Group session is a live taping of the Music Therapy Podcast. And this time we're taking an even deeper dive into this whole music versus business thing. Because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I can't settle my brain on where where I'm landing on it. I, I need help parsing it. So... We've invited musician Macy Stewart, who is in the band Ohm, who's now called, uh, the band has changed her name to Phenom. Um, But amazing musician, she also plays solo. She used to be in a group called Kids These Days. She's done extensive touring. She should have some really great thoughts on this. And she's also gonna give a performance. We will also have on uh, the owners of Brick-A-Brack Records, Nick Mayer and Jen LaMasters. They also have a band called Clickbait. They're going to talk about it. I think they'll have a really interesting perspective on music and business, given that they own a business, but they also have a band. Uh, My friend and colleague, uh, comedian Leslie Tanner, will also be there to share his wisdom and help us explore this. And we're going to have a few more surprises in store this night. We're expanding our format a bit. I'm really excited about this. Um, So come on out. Add your thoughts. Be part of the be part of the movement. Uh, If you're in Chicago, come on out. That's Wednesday, August 9th at Cafe Mustache, 8 p.m. And if you're not in Chicago, that's okay. We'll release the episode shortly after the taping. Okay, that's my promo. Let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Chicago artist Jocelyn Dell. Okay, I'm here with Jocelyn Dell. Jocelyn, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I start every interview with the same question, which is, can you please describe a typical week in your life these days? Oh, no, that is a, that's a good question to start with. Um, 
I have a day job, which I feel like is kind of my side quest. Um, so usually Mondays, uh, Mondays, Thursdays and Fridays, I'm fortunate enough to work from home. Um, but I'm definitely an early, earlier riser just with the type of work that I do. So I'm usually waking up at 5.30, trying to get a workout in, working after that, and then taking a nap. I'm a big napper. I feel like that's kind of what holds me. <laughs> Usually from like the two to three, I'm like, you know, scheduled away. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then the, the afternoon is usually what I spend most of my uh, time working on creative stuff as far as either writing music, trying to do a show, doing an open mic, um, either just meditating or taking time for me or cooking or things like that. And then I usually try to go to bed, um, pretty early. I am also into like reading the newspaper and things like that. I'm mm-hmm. trying to get into watching TV more. I just feel like I don't have enough time, <laughs> enough time to watch TV, but yeah, that's usually kind of the, the ebb and flow. And then I also am a big runner and biker, definitely like a little bit of a cardio junkie. So that's kind of another release that I usually try to fit in in the week as well. Okay. Yeah. You do sound busy. <laughs> what do you, yeah, what do, you yeah. do for your, your, your job, your side quest? What is that? <laughs> so uh, my title is so annoying, but it's essentially uh, business and finance intelligence. So I usually, as my boss says, we're the purveyors of truth. So I work at an investment firm and we mainly invest people's retirement. So I feel like I'm on the good side of finance. Like a lot of people have 401ks, Roth IRAs. We're essentially responsible to make sure that your retirement makes money through all of these strategies. And my job is to tell the PMs that are running a strategy, like whether they're doing a good job or not and backing it up with numbers and presenting it and things like that. You know, are the expenses too high? What does the performance look like? What do we think the revenue trajectory is going to be? So it's a lot of SP&A and forecasting, mainly for investment vehicles that are geared towards everyone's retirement. So. Okay. So you, how do you feel about crypto? Uh, it's kind of a scam, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I really like the idea of being able to house your money separate from the government, right? Like, and even as a person that works in that space, I'm like, the taxes... It's usually the normal people that are getting taxed a lot. It's not the rich people. So I like the idea and the concept, and I think blockchain is really good. But there's just so much noise in the space. Bitcoin itself isn't really built well to be like a paying currency. Just when you think of like durability, traceback ability, kind of like the traits that make money what it is. Um, but I think the concept is good. But there's also a lot of cons in the space too. So I just feel like normal people, if you don't have tons of disposable income, there's better things to invest in than Bitcoin. So, so you've got these two paths that feel like in a way, tell me if I'm wrong, but they feel like they couldn't be more different. You've got this side <laughs> where it's numbers and facts and concrete information. And then you've got this musical artistic side. And I guess I'm wondering Gosh, what am I wondering? Like how you, how those paths came to be in your life and, you know, the, maybe the importance of each of them to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the practical side, as far as like how they came to be, you know, um, I had parents that, you know, they had really done well for themselves by creating their own. Like they weren't 
given wealth. They kind of created it on their own through like running their own business and things like that. So I feel like they were very practical in the sense that like, you need to get some form of degree that you can get a job in. And I uh-huh. remember being like, that's annoying. That's so stupid. I just want to like live my dream and live my passion. Um, and I found that my brain works really well with numbers. Um, and I do find it mentally stimulating. So, you know, by the time I started doing it and working through it and studying for all the tests that I had to take, I was like, okay, seeing these relationships and breaking things down and also knowing that like, if I want to run my own business, regardless of what it's in, whether it's in the music space or the creative space, mm-hmm. understanding these things, you know, having a CPA, doing all this other stuff is going to benefit me some somewhere down the line. Um, and, you know, I think I'm currently in the process of trying to refocus my attention, you know, maybe do another year or two kind of at the stage job situation and refocus my attention more into the creative space, but having that business knowledge, I at least always knew that was going to be helpful. So that's kind of how I got there. My parents were like, you should probably, you know, do something more concrete. And I was like, fine, valid. Like I get it. You need to pay for bills and things like that. They always come due on time. Um, And then I think on the other side of that, it was, I think honestly, as lame as this sounds, I remember when American Idol first started as a child uh-huh. and being like, oh my goodness, normal people can sing. Maybe I can sing too. And uh-huh. I just remember taking that moment and just like, I started singing in the shower all the time. And I remember one of the first songs that I used to sing all the time was uh, Whitney Houston, Dance With Somebody. Uh-huh. Um, like in the shower and I was like, wow, the feeling that you get from singing in the shower, this is beautiful. Um, but I was never that much of a choir person. And growing up, I actually learned how to play the violin. I'm classically trained on the violin. Uh-huh. So I never really got to like feel like I was fitting into a space kind of in the natural like school. Like, oh, you want to do vocals? This is kind of the natural way that you get built up as a vocalist. So when I went to college and I needed to take extra credits so that I could like sit through my CPA going back to the balance. I used all my extra credits uh, to take vocal lessons. <laughs> and, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I'm just, this is a really interesting story. I mean, it's the, you said something that made me think when you were younger, it feels like, you know, you had this sort of revelation when you watched American Idol, like, oh, normal people can sing too. And that kind of indicates that maybe you wanted to sing, but felt like it was something that was really far away or out of your reach a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like I'm struggling with this now, even as like a quote unquote, more developed artist, that it feels like being successful as an artist, being able to have a living, being able to like thrive feels like such a high hurdle. And it feels like to be able to get to that point, there's like, it's, it feels almost impossible. Um, and I think sometimes I still grapple, I still grapple with that, but I think definitely as a kid, like the idea of becoming famous and being heard, and it was way harder back, like in the nineties, early 2000s, like you really had to get signed. You had to be on a radio. You had to like get on a CD. Um, and I, I never really, it never really felt like that person could be me. It was more of just like, that is for other people. Um, but I enjoy doing it. So, so, okay. To that point, what does, this is usually a question I ask at the end, but what does 
it look like to be a successful musician in your eyes? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it, like ideally I want to be self-sustaining on my art and the other ways that I'm helping artists, which is eventually what I'm trying to transfer over to is like, you know, I have all this business since the amount of people in the creative space that like aren't putting their businesses well together. I think that's kind of what I'm trying to do, but like, I want to work for myself. I want my art to have impact and reach. And most of all, I want it to feel like I'm authentically expressing my human experience because I feel like a lot of times when you stand up, raise your hand and share your experience, that gives people strength to also share their experience. Mm -hmm. And anything like what I've learned is those authentic spaces is where like real things happen, like healing and moving forward and, and, you know, all of those things. So to be authentic, to be supported on creative things, I could go on and on about how like corporate America is not for me, but I'm surviving it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. This is, I think you've got a unique angle here that perhaps other guests on the podcast don't have um, by way of your business experience. And it's a question that I contemplate all the time, which is should one, well, I I want you to think about how to rephrase it. You could, in your opinion, Mm -hmm. Is there benefits for musicians to think about their career as a business? Yes, 110%. And a lot of the like light work that I'm starting to do now and kind of as I see my path of transitioning away is, you know, from a tax perspective, you definitely need to see your music as a business, right? Especially like for me, for example, you know, I just hit 10,000 streams on a song ever last week, right? Uh Which is like, woo, that's great. But like 10,000 streams doesn't really mean that much from like a a revenue side. So like a lot of the money that goes into your business can be written against, you know, the revenue that you aren't making yet for tax purposes so that you can get those benefits so that you can invest in your art better, right? Uh And then when you do start making money, you're allowing that money to be shaped more. So you're getting minimal tax effect. You're allowing yourself, because a lot of it comes to retaining wealth in a more gig gig environment. Um, And so if you never think of your music as a business, then you're never going to set it up so that you can optimize with the same efficiencies that allow businesses to grow and like stay around and have longevity and things like that. So I do think it's really, I think it's really important. So when you're speaking to that, I'm kind of tapping your brain a little bit. I hope you don't mind, but yeah, yeah. Um, no worries. No worries. So, okay. Setting up your business, setting up your music endeavors in a way that um, I'm kind of thinking of certain structures. So what can you give us like a really broad skeleton of what that looks like? Yeah. So I feel like for most people, unless you have like a lot of money an LLC is probably the easiest way for you to set up a a company, right? You don't have to go through as much regulation as an S-corp. S-corps give you the most tax flexibility, but there's also way more regulation. So if you break the rules, there's like bigger costs there. Um, But LLCs, essentially, you can make, you know, all of the expenses and revenues flow through the LLC, right? And then you can kind of allow what anything to be distributed to you, or you can reinvest your retained earnings. 
Um, and so that's, that is kind of a really easy thing. And as well as when you're getting payments from like, if you're doing shows and other things like that, it mm-hmm. just makes it way easier for you to get paid and allow that consistency. So, you know, obviously this takes time, but like filing an LLC and like getting it up with the state, you know, not more than $300 and considering all of the tax benefits that you're getting, but also like the pay benefits that you'd be getting. Once you feel like, yo, this is my creative thing and I plan to do it consistently. That's when I think, and I'm maybe not just getting paid in hush hush money and cash. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm here for less tax, less taxes too. But um, that right. is, if you're doing something consistently, that's when you should be strategic about like, okay, how am I accounting for all of these expenses that I'm taking in? Because it's like, it costs money to be totally. a creative too. And no, no one wants to talk about how much money it costs to be a creative, right? You have to buy mics. If you're going to record studio, all of that stuff costs money and all of yeah. that stuff are taxable write-offs for your company. So, yeah. Gear, all of your online, like if you're paying DistroKid to host your music on Spotify or, or whatever it might be. So, okay. So here's something, I guess I'm wondering what you would say because I, I have this feeling and I feel confident that many musicians, many independent artists have this feeling that they feel there's something that feels sort of icky about thinking and I don't know how well developed these thoughts are, but it feels like there's something kind yeah. of icky about thinking about your music and your art and your expression and all that as a business. How, how in your eyes, how does someone, do you feel like that's reconciled for you? Is there dissonance or how do you think about that? Yeah, I get that because I feel like going back to what we were talking about earlier, like it does feel like I have two polar opposites, right? I've got the business numbers fact side that works in corporate America. And then I have like my passion and my writing and like all of the effort that I'm throwing into that. And it feels like something creative and organic. So the last thing I want to do is kind of bring bureaucracy to that space. Um, At the same time, a a lot of us would want to do that full time, right? Like a Mm -hmm. lot of us see our creative passion as something that is leading and feels more purposeful um, than, you know, maybe our day job and things like that. Um, I'd say kind of the short answer is like, there's plenty of musicians who are good examples who haven't thought about their music from a business standpoint that have then gotten screwed later, right? Because someone's always going to make money off of your art. If it's good, it might not be you, but like, if it's really good, someone will find a way. So why not it be you, the person that's putting all of your soul and effort into it. But I don't even think it's necessarily about money. I think it's more just about efficiently capturing economic events that happen around music because everyone knows it takes resources, everyone, right? So, and everyone knows taxes are always due. So I look at it more from like, how am I accounting for the cost of being a a musician who is, you know, very small? And, you know, how do I make sure that I protect my art that I'm so passionate about creating um, as a person who is putting all of this effort in, even though, you know, I'm not some huge celebrity and not getting paid a lot of money. So protection and accounting for cost that I'm paying uh, to do what I'm passionate about. Oh, man. 
you know, this is I, I wasn't anticipating having this discussion today, but I'm so um, I'm so glad we are. And I don't you know, I want to talk about you and your music um, as well. Yeah, but yeah. I think this is this is it's really good food for thought. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll just leave it there. But yeah, I'm sure, no. I'm sure we could spend the whole time. I could spend the whole time talking about this. But uh, OK, let's, how about this? Let's let's mark. Let's mark uh, a transition here and listen to one of your songs and then we can kind of get into your music and yeah, your yeah, process yeah. and all of that. So we've got a couple of songs. Is there one that you want to start with? Yeah. Why don't we start with Windows Apart and then we can tear into Flow later. Okay. So, so tell us tell us about Windows Apart. Yeah. So Windows Apart, um, I wrote it with a buddy. Uh, his name is James Wave and he really likes to kind of just you know, rift over like a, um, a repetition, repetition, like pedal and like, and I remember just hearing the beginning of the phrase and I was like, windows apart, the word just came to me. And from that, I was like, okay, we're making this into a song. And I eventually sat down when I went back home, I'm originally from Colorado. Um, I write a lot of songs in my parents' house, either in the basement or the back porch. I feel like it's kind of my peace shield away from from everything um and the concept of a song is kind of about the tension that you have when you know that you like someone but you have yet to express that on either side right it's kind of that tension of like oh she's looking at me or like oh mm -hmm. he's looking at me he made a face he made eyes and that like subtle knowing that you know, you, you guys want each other and there's something more there. And I feel like that's a very human experience kind of in that first flirtatious moment of like, oh, that person's hot. And then you get their number and then you're like, oh, how do I text them? So it kind of sings to, you know, being windows apart in your understanding of each other, but like seeing each other from those windows, kind of like Romeo, Juliet, like our window, our windows are right next to each other. Where like, uh, you know, like in the olden days when you didn't have phones, you just see someone in a different building. You're like, oh, she's cute. Like, <laughs> Very good. So, I yeah. love that. Well, let's take a listen. This is Windows Apart by Jocelyn Dell.
but that's not me and you, baby. Change design, our hearts align, feeling so divine, baby. Fade on That was wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. Glad you well, liked it. Tell me, tell tell us about your your process uh, as an artist. How do you approach, you know, writing a song? Yeah, yeah. So I've heard it's uh, you know different than the standard process, but I feel like everyone kind of has their own yeah. creative process. But I usually start with the melody. So like, I'll just be humming something in my house mm-hmm. or, and I, I think a lot of moments where I come up with a really good melody is in moments of joy or like in moments of bliss, but also just in, you know, strong emotional moments. Uh-huh. Um, and my theory is like, if it's catchy with no words and no music, like that is probably catchy with words and with music. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, after that, then I, you know, sit down, I decide what the song is going to be about. I write the lyrics and then I sit down with my producer, Jack Mahurl, and we essentially shape an instrumental around that um, melody and uh, vocal. So it's definitely kind of like vocal and then instrumentation versus instrumentation and then vocal. And you're working with somebody. You've got, it sounds like a partner. So... Yeah, he's like my lead producer. He produces all of my stuff, but we're pretty vocal in like writing it together. Like I would say he's kind of my, uh, he is kind of my partner in a lot of ways that he helps me write the um, the arrangements uh-huh. for a lot of the songs. But like, I have a really clear idea of what I want the song to sound like. It's then just translating it because sadly I can only play the violin and I'm attempting the guitar, but you know, it's, it's a, gotcha. a, a soft attempt. <laughs> So, so he helps so you bring it have me to life. He helps you bring it to life. Sorry, bring it to life. Yeah. To life. Yeah. And he went to school for sound engineering and producing. So like he records my vocals and, you know, we put it together. So thankfully I'm in really good hands of knowing someone who has all of those capabilities that like we're really good friends with and I can work with. And 
he helps me shape the songs too. So that's great. How did you guys meet? <laughs> Actually, church. <laughs> so uh-huh. I used to go to a church up north, and I used to sing at that church. So uh-huh. like after I graduated college, took those vocal lessons, I sing at church for a little bit, and then. You know, the the band essentially separated as, you know, life happens and things happen. Um, but he's like, yo, you're super talented if you ever want to write a song. And I was like, yeah, I'll hit you up on that. And we did we did a couple covers. And then I was like, you know what? COVID essentially was the push that I needed to be like, I'm done doing covers, full originals from this point oh. out. Unless I'm like an old cover that I like really love. But like the main focus has been original so yeah and we've been friends ever since why covid what what was it about covid that gave you that push uh i don't know i feel like my emotions were so high um i think everyone was emotions were really high i was like you know what the hell is going on here i also think i realized that like everything could change in an instant so why was i trying to hold on Mm. to you know, I don't know. I just felt like I was holding on to things and not fully stepping up and stepping out into what I wanted to do. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it was. And the first song I ever wrote was actually in the airport. It's called Moving On. It was in the airport while I was flying home for the first time when people were actually allowed to fly. Because I feel like those first couple of months, everyone's like, you can't be on a plane. Yeah, It's too much. Tickets were too much. I just remember like, you know what? I'm going to write a song. I'm going to go for it. Who cares if it's bad? Because I think that's the other thing too, as a musician, you're like, well, people like it. Is it even worth putting out there? Yeah. And I feel like I started writing music for me. And I feel like that has kind of allowed me to be more confident in the things that I put out. Obviously you want people to like it and listen to it and things like that, but just writing things authentically about how I'm feeling and what I'm going through or like the human feelings that I'm aware of um, and not caring as much about if I'm popular, right? Because you put things out, you want people to like it, so. Yes, okay, so that's been more successful for you to, well, okay, so I'm gonna tie this back because we're talking about business and it could be tempting or if someone's really thinking about what is, and and you haven't said this, but if someone's like, what's gonna sell, that that might, inform the way that they're writing a song or maybe they're like i'm gonna make a tiktok friendly you know (laughs) refrain here or something like that and yeah you know how 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 is that for you does the thinking of all this like a business inform your own the writing and the choices that you're making creatively yeah um i would say no I do, I, and, then, and I feel like it's a tough line because I feel like I have heard some artists where I'm like, this is really organic, but also this is like 10 minutes of experimental. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, is this created to be consumed? So, you know, I do think of how things are being consumed, but I think from a music standpoint and right, and that's maybe where it's like the business, like, okay, if I'm going to do a single, in me creating the single, that's going to be completely organic. But for like Windows Apart, the song we just heard, that was my first time being like, okay, you know, we know we're balling on a budget here, but like, how do I have a proper, how do I have content to roll out? Now, as far as like writing the song and feelings and things like that, that is like, 
I'm trying to be in my own lane. I feel like people that I've seen do it consistently, like I think of like a good 90s example, like Phil Collins. Prior to Phil Collins, there wasn't really a lot of people sounding like Phil Collins. So like, I want to be in my organic, authentic lane and doing that very well. I don't want to like copy someone because I've seen other artists who just are kind of like stamped copies yeah and people get tired of stamp copies pretty quickly like you might have a hit here or there but then like people want to connect to something that feels different and you don't get that if you're just trying to do what everyone else does so i think there is a mix of like okay i want my music to be completely organic but from releasing it like i need to think about like how am i going to remind people multiple times that this song came out i can't just tell them the day of and expect them to listen to it. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) And that's where the business side comes in. Like I need to be more strategic in that side. How does that whole side, and that makes me think about social media, and I don't know where you, where do you do that? Where do you let people know about? But what is your relationship like with with the marketing, I guess, and social media? Yeah, I feel, okay, so I'm I'm, uh, Joss Adele on Instagram. That's like my most active, Thankfully, in the next couple of months, I'm working with getting someone else to take over my social media uh-huh. for me, who is more enthralled with the social media thing. It is. I, I do have a mixed relationship because in one instance, it's like you want to be liked, right? You, you post your stuff. You want people to like it. And if the algorithm doesn't give you like proper placement, then you're just like day like no one no one's watching me no one's paying attention and that can be a little discouraging because if you want to be more like received you have to post more which means you're going to have more posts that get less likes and that's just the numbers game but it feels personal um at times i don't really like it but it's something you have to do as an artist because people need to see you and they need to feel connected to your story so Mixed relationship. <laughs> you accept that part of it. But it sounds like yeah. <laughs> that would be uh, my last guest, uh, Salami Rose Joe Lewis, was talking about how she would love for her label to have somebody help with that side because it's so, she was like, it really takes away from my creative self. If I'm spending a day making a video for Instagram, that's a way different headspace than when I'm writing a song and writing music and I don't really care for that. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, I have someone who's, you know, I've been trying to be on this whole journey of like, you have to give less cares. <laughs> you have to give less cares and you just have to send your music out. And sometimes it takes pride to send your music out and know that it will probably get ignored and be okay with that. But for all the people that ignore it, all it really takes is one person to be like, wow, I like this. And there's something good here. And so I had a friend do that. And then she sent it out to people that have helped manage other bigger artists and manage people's Instagram. And they're like, Hey, we know you're technically like a nobody in the artist sense, but we really like it. And if anything, you need like a more cohesive image Hmm. and a more cohesive brand. And that's all we do. And that's what they like doing. Right. And that's because I like writing songs. I like getting into the music theory and things like that. Posting things on Instagram draws down energy and, yeah. and then you feel insecure because then you look at other artists and you're like, well, 10,000 people like theirs and you know, 30 people like mine. So 
Yeah, it's just it <laughs> so much comparison and it's just so much work. Um, and, yeah. emo- you know, it's it's a, that emotional energy, too, that's then impacting you as an artist in some way, I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to touch back on something you mentioned. Uh, and I used to run this scene, run in this scene. I didn't run the scene. I ran in the scene of the open mic scene. You Do you do open mics? Yes. Yeah, so I do do open mics. I feel like we finally have gotten to the point where we can, where we're at least getting a show or two a month. And then I usually use open mics as a way to practice because I think performing is definitely very different than just like totally. singing in a booth. Yeah. Um, so I do do the open mics. I think it's a really good networking space as well because I mm-hmm. feel like other musicians and other creatives understand the struggle and the push to, you know, put yourself out there openly and, you know, authentically. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also been a good place to, to harbor support, but I don't, but I don't know, every scene is full of people. And so there's good things and there's bad things too, that you just kind of have to tactfully move through. But I'll say the biggest thing that I've learned from an open mic that I think is really good, which I think is why, like, regardless of how big you are, all artists should at least entertain it is it's good training. And it's really good training for some venues that you've gone to, because we've, we've done a decent amount of venues now. Some venues, even if they are bigger, the sound could be terrible. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> doing an open mic teaches you to get through a set regardless of whatever. <laughs> so that's been a really good help. Totally. I, I, you know, I actually, my husband and I met at an open mic and we, we would do them constantly. And it was like, I agree with you. I think it's a great way to practice. It feels a lot different practicing on stage than in your room by yourself. Like you said, getting used to the different mm-hmm. sound, figuring out what gets an audience and what doesn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of teaches you, not that it's always about that, but it teaches you those types of things. And yeah, I've yep. made so many friends through open mics. Yeah. What are your, this yeah. is a Chicago centric question, but do you have favorite ones or which ones are you doing? Yeah, so we're doing. I'm doing the unsigned open mic later tonight. Uh, they do it once a month. It's a really good event. It's in Ravenswood. It's a really big venue. Um, really good turnout every time, and they go above and beyond to like actually have a setup. So, and I've learned the ones that happen like once a month or like twice a month tend to be better than the weekly ones, just from like uh, showing up, being planned having like great attendance because the weekly ones can be fun, but then it really depends on like what day you came. Right. I've definitely done an open mic where it's like me and three other people. And we're like, cool, we're just going to listen to all three of us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I like that one, the corner series, which is in Hyde park at the promontory. um, They have a house band, which is really fun because for me, most of my sets are acoustic. It's me um, and my buddy Jack, and then we're working to get another guitarist in there. I think we'll start coming into the fold, but they have a full band, jazz band that will back you oh, wow. if you want to. So very good to, and it's like on a stage stage as well. So mm-hmm. like really good turnout. Um, you know, you only get, you only get five minutes, the on oh, mic, I think you get like two songs. Um, so I think that's really good. And 
The last one, which I think is pretty popular, is Uncommon Ground, Mm -hmm. one of the best listening rooms in in Lakeview. My uh, producer, he actually works there. He's one of the sound people there. Oh, okay. But I really like that one. I really like that one. And if I had to say one more, Harpen Art Center, it's in Logan Square. Um, I would say it's more towards like the R&B, soul, and hip-hop side, but they like to have everyone. Uh Um, That one's always crowded always crowded so you know you're going to get heard uh you know you're probably going to meet a few people because that's the thing too you want to practice in front of people but you also want to practice with sound system and things like that so those are the ones that i would say like if you haven't been to them check them out consistently good consistently meeting people uh they've definitely shaped me as an artist and i still attend them that's amazing i yeah have you ever been to the gallery the gallery cabaret no that one, that's, uh, I feel like I came up in the gallery okay. cabaret. They, they have them um, a few times a week. Um, and I won't, we can talk about it later, but I always enjoy, they used to have free food for everybody on Sundays. Um, what? Check it okay. out. It's a gallery cabaret. Yeah, it's, it's in Bucktown. Um, but yeah, very cool. Um, why don't we take another music break here and let's listen to your song, Flow. Can you tell us about this track? Yeah, so Flow is definitely different than Windows Apart. Windows Apart is kind of like a light love song. Flow is definitely more um, atmospheric, right? It starts out with bird uh, chirping, and uh, it really talks about, like the first verse is being aware about myself and, you know, how other people can take you in. Because I feel like when you put yourself out in the world, a lot of people make quick judgments on you and they won't really know you. And so it's kind of like being aware of that. And then the second verse is being aware of like the people in your environment that actually help you and support you. Because the whole idea of the song is like what is required to be in your flow state so that you can actually grow the things that you want to grow um, with. And this one's definitely more personal for me just because I feel like I'm aware in the spaces that I stick out. And I would even say in my day job, like, only so many black men in the fi- like mm-hmm. in the finance world, right? Yeah. I'm definitely like an other. I think in a lot of spaces, I'm an other, but like I'm not going to let that deter for me what I'm built, what I'm trying to build, and what I'm trying to move forward. And also, just you know, really supportive of my authentic community that is here, also supporting me and wants to see me me grow. So definitely about the flow state. Definitely more personal and connected to the heart. But I really, I really like it and. Yeah, I think it's a good song. Okay, let's take a listen. This is Flow by Jocelyn Dell. People see my style, they know I'm different. More than just a wall that place me. They don't know I'm out of the path that they They just in the dark to face me. But when I
Okay, amazing. Thanks for sharing <laughs> yeah, these tracks with so us. Much. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you're liking it. Um, let's let's talk. Let's get into mental health stuff if if you're down to do that. Yeah, I'm down. Let's take that step. <laughs> okay. Uh. Okay. Let's see. Well, I don't know how to dig into it, but what what you know. Where does mental health fit into your life? What what aspect of it, you know, are you are you comfortable talking about? I guess, or interested in yeah, talking about? Yeah, um, yeah, no, I think it's important to you talk about mental health. I think it kind of destigmatizes it. I kind of like I said earlier, life is hard, and we all have to live through it together. So, like, what ecosystems do you have in place to kind of break those things down in a healthy way? Um, I think. For me, like my mental health practices are a couple. I, I meditate and I write pretty regularly. Uh-huh. Um, and then that's kind of my supplement between I'm also in therapy. Um, and I have a really great therapist as well. And, you know, that is that is kind of my active space to work through things. Um, not only just in hearing yourself say things aloud, which I feel like a lot... <laughs> A lot of us don't really understand like the value of saying things aloud and allowing things to escape kind of our headspace, right? So you can like see it. Um, But also, you know, if you're with a good therapist, right, they understand the the human brain and like human thoughts, but you also grow a relationship with them and they know you because I think for me, like, you know, in my age, the amount of people that I see that are like still hung up on things that happened to the third grade to them in the third grade not saying that like tragedies haven't all happened to us and things like that but like everything that we've gone through is going to have an effect on us and whether we decide to address it and work through it like it's going like leads leads to something so i feel like for me i got to the point where it's like okay you know i've had all of these experiences I want, I don't want these things to affect me in a negative way. I want these things to help shape me in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of where doing mental practices as far as therapy, writing, meditating allows me to reflect and then, and then process and, and say some of these things aloud that I need to say aloud that we're just trapping, um, trapping inside because I've just seen too, too many cyclical things. And even myself, you could be trapped in the cycle. And if you never stop to take time to be like, well, what's causing the cycle? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's usually a feeling. It's usually something, you know, deep. Um, so it's kind of, that is, that is kind of my connection. And, the, and I think it's really important. And I feel like I'm part of the first age where it's been like therapies and more accepted, but I yeah. feel like for a lot of our parents and our great grandparents, Therapy was really only for people that were quote unquote seen like, you know, having some large mental issue. And it's like, you know, yes, there, there's a wide range of mental issues that like, you know, need help and need to be addressed. But I feel like most people, not most people have gone through something that has affected them and they probably haven't worked through it. And it's okay to ask for help to work through something so that you can actually like get past it. And it not just be something that is like stunting growth, pulling you back, all of those things. So it's been good. I'm definitely an advocate for it. I definitely am trying to be a resource to a lot of my friends as far as like, you know, 
have you worked through it in therapy? Here's some resources mm-hmm. for therapy. And I've seen the work that I've gotten done with my therapist and just being more reflective and being able to calm down more, right? And like work through some of my issues and things like that. It's just definitely been, it's like working out, right? It's like eating a good meal. Your brain needs it. Like you need it, you know? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Uh, I, man, I, it sounds like it's been overall really positive and helpful experience for you. And I love that you're, I mean, thank you for sharing it. I feel like that goes a long way in like, normalizing it and talking about the benefits of it for other people who might be thinking about doing it. And I, you know, with my clients, you know, (laughs) I can't tell you how many times people will say, I might, I I wish my dad would go to therapy, but there's no way he's ever going to go like, see, talk to a therapist. You hear that constantly. Um, And I, I agree that it feels like it's becoming more and more just, yeah, this is a nice, this is a healthy thing to do. You don't have to be in this Certainly, if you are, you you I encourage you to, but you don't necessarily have to be in this awful mental health state to go and benefit. One area that I think is still feels that way is for couples. It feels like a lot of couples would benefit from therapy, but most couples wait yeah. till it's pretty bad till they go because they think yeah. it means something is really wrong with the relationship if they're in therapy together. But I would I'll take a moment to encourage (laughs) couples. Like it doesn't have to be that way. It can also just be a support for your relationship. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's really just healthy support. Like that's really what it is. Healthy support. And I feel like what I didn't even realize until I was in therapy was how much my surrounding environment shaped my actions and like shaped my identity and things like that. Like we all have our own, you know, identity and we all like do whatever we want, but a lot of your tendencies come from what you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. It just feels different because we're not doing it in the exact same way that we saw it, right? But it's maybe being translated down or, or diluted um, in a different way. So it just really made me become aware of like, you know, what is around me and how is that allowing me to be to be shaped. But yeah, I don't know. It feels like a good check-in. I had therapy today. We definitely talked through some things. I just feel like that's the other thing too. It's like, you know, once you get a therapist and you find one that you really jive with, Mm -hmm. then you really kind of create those connections where you can go even deeper into, you know, other parts of of your life. And that's when you really start, you know, breaking through and and making connections and making awareness and things like that. So like I said, it's like a vitamin. It's like a healthy salad or lunch or anything like that. We all need it. That's amazing. Yes, I I totally, I totally agree. Obviously, I agree as a therapist. Um, Well, (laughs) tell us, like, you know, before we wrap up today, tell us, you know, what are you working on? Do you have anything coming out? Any shows coming up? Or what is it that you're focusing on artistically these days? Yeah, so I have a show um, at the Songwriters Night at the Red Room on the 30th. Um, It's a $20 cover, but drinks are included. So it feels like a pretty good deal. I know the economy is 50 50, but like you get, you get, you get drinks included. So that's going to be June 30th at 8 PM. Um, and then I'm working on, I just came out with flow. So if you haven't heard it yet, please stream it. And then I'm working on another song called mine. Um, and I feel like this second wave of music feels like I've developed a little bit more like the first wave of music. I released 2021. That was kind of like initial, like I'm, Oh, I can write originals. And the second one, 
you know, things feel more developed. Um, but the idea behind mine is what is here for you is here for you. And it's like set aside, right? Don't compare what's here for other people. Focus on what's here for you. And remember that like, there is, there are here things, there are things here for you. So just focus on the pace. Uh, the first lyric goes, in time, I will find what's mine is all mine set aside with my label, right? Like that, that, that being able to claim and not worried about comparing myself to other people and just staying focused on, you know, getting what is here for me, you know? Oh, I love so, that. That's a, I, I think yeah. that's a great that's a great note to end on. Jocelyn, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It was really interesting. I loved hearing about your process and getting to know you. Thank you so much for your time today and being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Okay, I want to thank Jocelyn for his time today. I am uh, really excited to talk to Jocelyn more. We have already kind of said that we're going to get back together and get more into this business side of things. I think he's got some great thoughts on it. So stay tuned. Uh, look out for that. Um, visit musictherapypodcast.com for previous episodes and upcoming events, including our Wednesday, August 9th event at Cafe Mustache, live taping of uh, music therapy, discussing in even further detail, music versus business. I might do a rustling uh, twist on this. We'll see. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Peace and love until I see you guys again.